So the way we're going to head today is into Psalm 73. So if you'd like to go ahead and turn there in your Bible. This is in the middle of the Old Testament. You can locate that there. Um, Psalm 73. And if you can't locate it, probably in the front of your Bible, you'll find a... And right there it tells you the books of the Bible and you can see what page they're on and things like that. But we'd love for you to turn there to Psalm 73. We're going to read this whole psalm today, uh, 28 verses, just to get kind of the context of the guy that we're talking about here. And We'll be there in just a few minutes, but we always like to talk before we get going. So our theme here is today, honoring God with our devotion. Honoring God with a devoted heart. So this very simply is called devoted to God. And as we begin, help me here. When you think of the word devote or devoted or devotion, how would you define it? Like, What does it mean from your perspective to be devoted to something? Committed, okay. Good. Loyal. Faithful. If you're saying, I'm devoted, what are you saying? Focused. Okay, I'm there with all I've got. Anybody else here quickly? Devoted? Well, when you look this up in a dictionary, here's some of the things it says, and you, you've hit it all, all right? But it uses some words maybe that we don't use a whole lot, like words like zealous. How often do you use the word zealous? I'm just zealous, right? Typically, when you think of the word zeal, at least for me, I think of God. I guess just from reading scriptures or singing songs, to me, zeal and God go hand in hand. So when I think of zeal, that's where my mind goes. What about, here's another good kind of heart Bible word, fervent. Isn't that a good word? Fervent. Like just warm and nurtured and uh, fiery. Just lit in a good way. Right? So uh, that's another word. Another word is the word ardent. You guys know what ardent means? So again, that's that whole idea of being passionate or just really being enthusiastically affectionate towards something. So for me, I've, that's not a word that's in my typical vocabulary, so I had to look that one up. I'd heard it, I just wasn't sure what it meant. So those are some of the ways that it's defined. And typically it comes out in a display of attachment or affection, right? So you don't have to really question somebody's devotion. We tend to show that pretty easily. So if you could think about it, what, is there something, so we're in church, God's the first answer. What in your life do you find yourself being devoted to? Where you display just an enthusiastic, Affection or attachment towards something. I heard it. Family, okay. Coaching. Like if we could track your life back these last seven days to last Sunday and looked at this week following you, what would we see? This is what you're really passionate about. That you talk about this all the time. Like this is just... What you display, it's who you are. Anybody else? What are you devoted to? Nothing? 
I bet we're devoted to a lot of things. We just don't maybe think of it in those terms. Um, and what we're going to look at today is being devoted to God, but I want to set the premise right up front. I don't think we really struggle with devotion. I think we struggle with being devoted to the right things. And it just kind of comes natural. We, we go all in on lots of things. Just sometimes they're not the best things for us or they're not God-honoring. And so I struggle to do the right thing. Uh, so it could be a, a lot of people are devoted to the weekend, right? Working for the weekend. You've heard that song? A lot of people are that way. I mean, they earn their check so they can go blow it on the weekend. And they wake up Monday to do it all again so they can go do it the next week. And they're devoted, like they're passionate about Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. Like, that matters. Hobbies. There's probably lots of hobbies we're really devoted to. Like, you've probably spent time reading books or watching videos or going to conferences or seminars or in a kitchen with somebody, or in a sewing room with somebody, or in a garage with somebody, learning how to work on machines or cars. Like We've proven that we're devoted to things by how we show up, by how we spend our money. Uh, all sorts of ways prove that. Lots of people are, are devoted to their addiction, whatever it is. And so addictions, we usually think of maybe drugs or alcohol, and that's true there, but it's also true with like television, or in a relationship, or, or I'm addicted to, you fill in the blank. You know, whatever it is that really makes me wake up in the morning. You said family already, jobs, all sorts of stuff we're devoted to. So again, we don't tend to struggle with devotion. We tend to struggle with, me anyway, being devoted to the right things. So this past Monday, how many of you guys were outside around 1 o'clock or so? Okay. Had your eyes lifted up? To me, that was just, that was a, Great thought, like millions of people with their eyes lifted up. I wonder how long it's been since that's happened, you know, all over this country, and they're all just looking up. Well, these people, many of them proved they were very devoted. So what I heard, this may not be accurate, I'm just sharing what I've heard, down at SIU Carbondale, in their football stadium, they have some box seats. I heard those were going for about $15,000 a box. So people could sit in the air conditioning and view the eclipse. All right? Does that sound devoted to you? I think if you throw $15,000 at something, you're saying, this matters to me. That's not just chump change or something we just you know, spend with willy-nilly without thinking about it. And so lots of people did that. They traveled lots of miles. They took off days from work. Um, you know, we were over in St. Louis last Sunday, and it was a zoo. I mean, not at the zoo. It was just a zoo. There was people everywhere. And so we were asking the clerks, what's going on? And they said, all these people have come from all over. And they're in the hotels. And they're in the campgrounds. And they're out here just buying stuff, food and clothes, all kinds of stuff for the, for the eclipse. And, and it was crazy. I don't know if you saw any pictures of the interstate on Monday night. Did you see any of those? We've got some friends that live down at Wren Lake. And they were taking pictures of both northbound and southbound lanes from like 4 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 8 o'clock. And at the nighttime picture, you didn't see anything going, I guess it was southbound. Northbound was just nothing but brake lights. I mean, it was like a parking lot. And so that's just one way that people have proven they're devoted to Mother Nature, whatever they might say, or maybe they were devoted to their family and they were spending some time together. But they were devoted to seeing the eclipse and they proved it or displayed it with their life. Now, Maybe the eclipse didn't get you all excited, right? Maybe you just weren't 
you know, hosting an eclipse party and spending all your money on a suite at uh, the Carbondale football stadium there. But every one of us have got things that can draw us, right, to be devoted to them rather than to God. And so that's what we're going to see today in Psalm 73, a guy named Asaph. Asaph was a Levite who was handpicked by David, King David, to be like a worship leader. And he was one of many. And you can read about them in 1 Chronicles 6 and 1 Chronicles 16. You'll find out a whole lot more about Asaph there. He was just one of these guys who at the tabernacle was going to be leading people uh, in worship to God. He was a poet. He was known for that. He was known to be a songwriter um, and uh, evidently a good singer. So he was going to be one of these leaders. But he's also going to struggle like you and I with staying devoted to things that matter. He was going to need a little bit of help here. So let's read this. Psalm 73. And you can track in your Bible or you can follow along on the wall here today if you'd like to as we read this. All right, so here we go. It says, Surely God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So he's got some envy in his heart here as he considers what's going on in the world around him. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Would anybody trade your current body for a healthy and strong body today? Okay, I saw one hand. All right. They're free from common human burdens. Wouldn't that be awesome? They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace, and they clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity, and their evil imaginations have no limits. They dream up evil. They scoff. They speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and they drink up waters in abundance. All these people are, I want to be like you. I want what you have. I want to live the way you live. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care. And they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. And when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. Till, that's a big till there, till I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood their final destiny. Surely you placed them on slippery ground, and you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes. And so when you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and I was ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. And yet I'm always with you and you hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards you will take me into glory. So whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your deeds. 
So here today, we want to work in through these 28 verses. All right, we'll do this rather quickly here, but as we consider what it looks like to be devoted to God as people who struggle with being devoted to God. Not being devoted, period, but making sure we're devoted to the right things. And so here, let's begin. If you'd like to track, you can't hear with your bulletin. Number one, being devoted, it's going to require a change of perspective. So you see the guy sitting there in the picture? He's got a pretty good view of that scape there, skyscape, right? As he's looking around, you think, oh, okay, so he's sitting up there contemplating life. Maybe he is getting a different perspective, and that's exactly what we're going to talk about initially. Being devoted requires us to see things from God's perspective. So right from the get-go in Psalm 73, Asaph kind of tells us, I've struggled and I've come out on the other side, and this is what I've learned, right? So I've struggled, I've come out on the other side, and this is what I've learned, and and here it is. So let's go back and look at this as he thinks about his proper perspective. Remember the first word here. What is it? Surely. Remember that word. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So he's stating something that he's just learned. I've come out on the other side, and I'm telling you right up front, God's good, but let me explain how I got to that. All right? So verse 2, he says, For me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So did Asaph have a devotion problem? He's devoted, but his devotion is starting to be swayed as he envies the wicked and the arrogant. As he looks at their life and he's like, man, they've got the good life and I'm over here trying to be pure and I'm getting nothing but affliction and punishment. So you ever felt drawn that way? Boy, I'd be willing to give up some of my convictions if I could have what they have. I'd be willing to trade in some of my feeling and commitment to the Lord if I could just have a better life. And so as he's looking around at these people, he's being drawn in. He is envying what he sees. By definition, envy is a feeling of discontent and resentment aroused by the possession or qualities of another. So due to an envious heart, he's being led away. Okay? And what what he say there back in verse 2? As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I almost got to the point where I was going to devote myself to these things. I had nearly lost my, my foothold. And there again, because it was my envious heart that was drawing me away. And so everywhere he looked, evil people were prospering. He's like, you got the good life. And your heart's not pure. Right? You are wicked people. Look, here's the list that he gave, and I'm just going to read through these, but we just read all this uh, in the first portion of this text. He said, The wicked have no struggles. All in favor? Nobody. Okay. The wicked have healthy bodies that are strong. They have no burdens. They have no human ills. They're proud, violent. They're indifferent to their sin, and there's no limit to the evil they can come up with. They scoff. They oppress, they're carefree, and they amass great wealth. So as he looked at them, he thought to himself, here I am trying to honor God, and all I get is affliction and punishment. And these people are just living for themselves, and they've got all this stuff. They've got no cares in the world. And this was really starting to work against him. Matter of fact, here's what he says in verse 13. What's the first word here? Surely, 
Remember verse 1? Surely the Lord is good to those who are pure in heart. That's what he had learned. But in the middle of this process, here's what he says. Surely in what? In vain. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. He's saying this is dumb. I've been a fool to try to honor God with my life and just get punished. Verse 14, all day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. Right? If that's how it's sold to you, are you buying in? You come follow Christ and here's what you can count on. Punishment and affliction every day. Or you follow the wicked and you can have no struggles. You can have healthy, strong bodies. You can be carefree. You can have all sorts of wealth. It's a lie, but people buy it. And we get swayed as well because just like Asaph, we're devoted. Sometimes we're more devoted to self than we are to God. And what ends up happening is I get swayed by things that I see the wicked supposedly achieving. And so Asaph has a perspective problem. Not a devotion problem, a perspective problem. And his eyes became his pathway to his discontentment. You ever been there? His eyes became the pathway to his discontentment. I would say that's true for a lot of us. Wasn't it Fanny Crosby who said somebody was showing her great pity and she said she would rather be blind than be able to see. Because she thought her heart would be drawn away to things that just weren't as glorious as she pictured in her mind God to be. And so she would rather be blind. And how many times have your eyes got you in trouble? Man. And lots of times, that's just where it starts. You see something, you're like, oh, I'd like to have that. And then how can I go about getting that? And what does it mean I have to give up to have that? And so maybe, I, like I said earlier, I'll compromise a conviction to get something. Because I'm envious, I'm being drawn away, and I'm devoted to making sure I'm pleased. Sometimes I just trade in what really satisfies my heart. And so Asaph's in a kind of bad spot here, right? He's starting to believe that pursuing God is not worth it. Look at how they live, look at what they have, and look at how I'm living and what I'm getting. And so he's starting to question whether or not following God is worth it. But in this text, it seems like it was a short-term problem there or perspective problem for him so here's what he says when I tried to understand all this why am I being drawn away why am I envious of the wicked why is it that I don't want to be pure in heart anymore why do I want to trade in my relationship with God when I tried to understand all this it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God then I understood their final destiny now scripture talks about how sin is enticing for a season it's pleasurable for a season. You can chase it for a little while and it's going to be good. But ultimately it will lead to your destruction. And so here Asaph is coming to a place where he's getting that right perspective again. Right? This is the right perspective. God's helping me see their final destiny. And so here's what he says. What's the first word? Surely. Surely you place them on slippery ground. Surely you're going to cast them down to ruin. Alright, so this is how he got to verse 1. Surely the Lord is good to those who are impure in heart. And so he's just saying, it's not in vain that I'm submitting to the Lord. Though it's hard, it's not in vain. It's worth it. Because the destruction that they will face in the end will be there. It will ruin them in comparison to what God has in store for me. 
So Asaph got a proper perspective of God and it ended up giving him a proper perspective of himself. Listen to what he says here about himself. When my heart was grieved, when I was thinking about all these wicked people and how good they had it, my spirit was getting embittered. I was senseless and ignorant. How would we say that today? We're just dumb. Wouldn't you say that? You ever just been dumb? Just plain dumb. I don't mean I didn't know what four times four was. I mean, I acted in a way that was just dumb. Knowing that God is the source of everything that can delight my heart, chasing anything else is dumb. It's senseless. It's ignorant. He says, I'm like an animal before you. I'm just a brute beast. I just go about life and pursuing everything that my senses desire, and I'm not using my mind. I'm just foolish. When I thought that way, I was just foolish. So listen, it's senseless and it's ignorant. It's dumb on our part to think that anything on this planet deserves our devotion more than God. I'm not saying don't do well at school. Love your family. Work hard at your job. Strive for excellence in all you're doing. Absolutely. I'm just saying devotion belongs to God alone. When I get that right, everything else gets in its right seat. So it's senseless to think that anything on this planet deserves our devotion other than God. And it's also senseless to think that anything on this planet can satisfy us more than God. How many times have you had to learn that lesson? Pursue a relationship. And you, it was everything for a while, and then it was a dead-end street. And you're like, oh, why did I just turn my back on God and pursue this? You know, when I get to this point in my life, when I have this kind of money or this degree or this kind of education, when I get all these things worked out, then life will be great. And it's kind of like I leave God behind. And I've got to get all this in order. No, it won't. All that stuff will let you down just like everything has before. The only thing that doesn't is when we try to seat our devotion in God. You'll never find more delight anywhere on this planet than in your relationship with the Lord. I know we have to learn that over and over again, but we're no different than Asaph. He learned the very same thing here. It started with his perspective. You've got to get the right perspective of your situation. So rather than looking at how the wicked prosper and everything goes their way and I try to honor God and it seems like everything's against me, remember God's perspective of, of the situation. Try to see things from His way. Alright, secondly here, talking about being devoted to God. We need to, devotion rests in God as the greatest delight of our hearts. Anybody know that to be true? I think this is pretty personal today, right? I think a lot of us, you've probably found yourself in a moment in time where you were trying to walk really close with God and your relationship felt alive. It's almost like you could hear Him talking, like there was a closeness, there was a peace, there was a joy, there was a gladness. There was comfort. There was a guidance. And somewhere along the way, we've just kind of been, shh, we get a little bit wandering, that wandering heart. We start settling for other things to try to delight our hearts. And so as Asaph begins to make his way through this process, we're going to see a shift in his desire. All right? He was being bent to pursue the way of the wicked so he could have all the same stuff they had. No struggles. Carefree life. Bunch of money, right? Everybody doing what I say. And yet we'll see here, he's going to learn something a little bit better. And here's what he found in God. Here's what he found when he walked devoted to the Lord. He says, I'm always with you. 
and you hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? Think about that one. And earth has nothing I desire besides you. And when we look back over our last week, would my life write that verse honestly? I mean, could you and I, with just full disclosure, everything I've thought, said, every action I've done, would it write that verse? There's nothing I desire other than you. There's nothing on earth that comes close to you. There's nothing in heaven that I ever even want to see other than you. My flesh, my heart, they may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and He's my portion forever. And so he's saying, where else could I go? What else could I possibly need that I could not find in God? If we took time to share what's heaven going to be like for you, we might talk of some of the descriptive words that the Bible uses, but I bet we'd share a lot about people who've died in the faith before us that we love. They're there, and we long to be with them, and the Bible says that's a reality. What does Asaph say here about our loved ones who've gone on before us? Absolutely nothing. You think Asaph was just a loner? No family, no friends. I think Asaph was a guy who had tapped into what it had really meant to be devoted to God and he had found his greatest delight. He had found a satisfaction like none other. And so it wasn't, I want to go to heaven to see my grandma and grandpa Malone. Or I want to go to heaven to be there with my grandma Penn. Or I want to go there to be with my nephews who've passed away. They're there and that will happen. Asaph doesn't mention them. He says, there's nothing in heaven that matters except you. And there's nothing on this earth I would ever desire. Nothing compares to you. We sang it this morning. You're more precious than everything. Nothing I desire compares with you. Like, when I think about heaven, I think about these people. Do you? Do you ever have an overwhelming devotion that trumps that, that almost makes that seem like, that? I don't even care if that does happen. If it's me and God, me and Christ, that's heaven. That's enough. That's all I need. See, that's a heart that's wholly devoted. And I think there's times I think when I'm starting to bump up against that, but I tend to fall off that pretty quick. Try and try and fully devote. Fully, oh man, but all these other things seem to be just as important, or they seem to matter just as much here. And Asaph says in the big picture, "Whom have I in heaven but you? No one. What does this earth have that I should desire besides you? Nothing." Nothing in heaven and on earth. Nothing I desire. He goes on to say, you're the strength of my heart. We read it. You take me by my hand. You are my guide. You're my counsel. And one day you will take me on. And so I walk. I journey. I travel. I navigate life here with you. You will delight me forever. See, Asaph reminded himself 
of God's perspective. And in so doing, what ends up happening is he begins to be refreshed and realigned, and he's finding himself just delighted in the relationship that he has with his Father. He's my portion, he's the strength of my heart, and he is that to me forever. It makes sense then that he could say in verse 1, God is good to those who are pure. The Lord is good, surely he is, to those who are pure in heart. Rest in God is the only thing that can delight our hearts. Wasn't it Jesus who said in Matthew 11, Come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. It's not, hey, you need a nap. It's, you'll find everything you need in me. I'll be your tutor. Learn of me, he says. All right? I'll, I'll give you a sense of who God is. There will be a refreshing in your spirit like none other. Nothing else on this planet can delight you as me. So come to me. I'll give you rest. Look at the wicked and see what they're chasing. And yeah, you think it's working out for them, but it's short-lived. Come to me. I'll give you rest. Wasn't it Jesus who said, if you drink from His well, you'll never what again? You'll never thirst again. What He says is, in me, I'm all sufficient. I satisfy every desire, every need that you have. So being devoted means we rest in Him as the delight of our heart and not our car, our job, our retirement, what other people think of us, our degrees, our stuff, our hobbies. We've found true delight in the Lord and we're not willing to, to trade that for anything. And so we're going to rest there. And being devoted then also brings some results about it. Results in believers, those who've experienced this rest that we've talked about, then going about and telling other people about God. See, as Asaph went through this process, he now had a story to tell, didn't he? What's his story? Man, I started to envy the wicked. And I was on a slippery slope. It was about to get really bad for me. And I looked at everything they were gaining and how they were living, and I thought, surely to pursue the Lord is vanity. What a fool I've been to try to be pure in heart. What a waste of my life. But he says, when I got God's perspective, things shifted for me. And I was reminded of who God is and my heart was drawn back to Him, the One who can delight my soul. And so now I've got a story to tell because how many of us in here have ever been devoted to something that wasn't God-honoring? Me? Anybody else? You ever been devoted to something that put God maybe in second place, third place, fourth place? I mean, I know He's God and I'll love Him and live for Him or whatever, but this right now is more important. I've got to do this with my life right now. God's there. We'll deal with that later. But this is what's most important to me right now. I'd say we probably all made that trade at different points in our life. And so we can identify with Asaph. His story, it means something to me. Have you ever looked at what the rich have and thought, man, if I had that, my life would be so much better. I would love to live on the lake. Would you? That may not be your thing. I would love to live on... Now, I live on a lake when it rains real hard. 
our backyard floods. But most of the time, I'm not on the lake. And I would love that. And when we get out in a boat on the lake and you see all these houses, it's just kind of like, okay, what do I have to do to get in that position? What's it going to take from me? How hard do I have to work? How many jobs do I need to get? How much can we save to get there? Because if I was there, life would be awesome, much better than it is right now. You know what's happening? I'm being bent. I'm being drawn. The envy in my heart is just like, you've got to have that. And I'm starting to trade the all-satisfier for things that are temporary. So I get it. I need Asaph's story. Now, he didn't have to go through this, did he? To know that God was good? He didn't have to go through this. The thing is, he did go through this. And he's got a story to tell. So here's what he says. This is my story. As for me... It is good to be near God. What a great story. What a great verse. Right? I mean, is that one of the first things you and I would share with people when we talk with them? Tell me a little bit about yourself. I've got to tell you, it's great for me to be near God. See, Asaph had come through and he had a story to share and this was life-altering not only for him, but he was going to tell of all the good things that God had done. That's what he says. As for me, it's good to be near God. So I've made the sovereign Lord my refuge. And the result is, I'll tell of all your deeds. And so we've got Psalm 73. As God's inspired Asaph to write, and as God has preserved the Word, you and I have it in our hand today to tell us that we can be easily drawn away. We can be devoted to other things. Just get God's perspective on it. Remind yourself that nothing can delight you like the Lord can. And when you come back to that, when your soul is replenished, there's just, you got to share that. You got to tell that. I mean, it's like it comes to its completion when I finally get to express and share with other people what the Lord has done for me. Maybe that's through singing, maybe that's through just conversation across the table or in your home. But I would guess that all of us have a little story to share about how God has been good to us. I would think all of us could share it's good for me to be near God. That is, it's good, to be, it's good for me to be wholeheartedly surrendered. It's good for me to be entirely devoted. It's good for me to be completely given over to the Lord. He's my everything. So I would say you've got a story to share as well. Right? Our part is to share God's story as He has worked in us. And here this past week, uh, Stephanie and I were reading together Psalm 124. I would encourage you to read that here. There's a song we used to sing called Had It Not Been. You guys remember that? It's kind of an old quartet song, Had It Not Been. Well, this starts out and it says, If it had not been for the Lord. And then the psalmist goes on to write, Then this wouldn't have happened. And if it hadn't been for the Lord, then this right here would have happened. And so we just sat there and kind of bounced back and forth off ideas off one another. What could we say if it had not been for the Lord? You know, how would we fill in those blanks? I mean, we filled in with all sorts. I don't think I would be alive if it hadn't been for the Lord. 
And I've been foolish. You think you're a fool? Let's go toe to toe. I've got some stories that were just, they're dumb. Like I said there, we read earlier, I was ignorant. Been within that much of my life. Some of you, maybe you've been closer than that. But I've been within four inches of death instantly. I don't have time to tell you that story. You've heard it before. I passed out and woke up in a creek underwater, being drug out by my feet. I should have been gone. What were you doing, Lord? Rebellious heart, wanting to live life my own way. I didn't want to pursue God. And some cousin comes and gets in my face and says, is how you're living pleasing to the Lord? And I almost hated her in that moment. How dare you talk to me that way? But if it had not been for Sarah Malone, cornering me in a little vestibule area at Camp Hope, I'd be a train wreck. My life was heading nowhere good. I was chasing everything the world had to offer. You name it, I wanted it. And I had tasted enough of it to know that it could satisfy me for a little bit. Man, if it hadn't been for the Lord, I'd be a wreck. I'd be dead. I'd be ruined. And I think of all the blessing I have now. I think of the great privilege and the responsibility that the Lord has entrusted to me. It's nothing I deserve. I'm just thankful for the opportunity to be a part of His mission. I'm thankful to know His patience. I'm thankful to know how He forgives and how He loves as a rebellious son, as a disrespectful son. I'm thankful to know what Asaph knew. Surely the Lord is good to those who are pure in heart. And what's your story? If it had not been for the Lord, what's your blank? How would you fill that in? You know, it'd do us some good sometimes just to sit across a table, to sit at a pew, and just ask the question and let each other share their answer. What's your story? Tell me your story. Tell me about the Lord and what He's done in your life. Psalm 34 tells us that when you taste of the Lord, what you'll see is that He's good. And at this point in my life, I can't get enough of the Lord right now. So you can have your houses, and you can have your cars, and you can have your fine jewelry and your cash. You can have your boat on the lake, as far as I'm concerned. There's that little song that says, you can have all this world, just give me Jesus. And that's what I want. More of Him. Only Him and more of Him. Trying to be wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord. What you've got to know, it doesn't mean everything goes your way. Asaph had punishment and affliction, didn't he? That was reality for him. But what was just as real is that there was a God who said, I'll hold your right hand. I'll guide you. I'll counsel you. When the time's right, I'll bring you home. 
And so he determined it was good for him to be near God. It was good for him to be devoted to God. Maybe you'd like to make that same determination today. Corey, it's good for me. Or from this point forward, it's going to be good for me as I devote myself to the Lord to be devoted to Him. I don't know how it is with you right now. I don't know how you came in today. I don't know what seeks to draw your devotion away from God. But we've all got those things. And what God's allowed us here today, August 27, 2017, here is an opportunity to hear that He is good. An opportunity to acknowledge some things we know to be true. We can easily be drawn away, but we can find great rest in Him. And He'll delight your soul like none other. And in turn, he'd, He's planned to use your life to tell His story. I will tell of all your good deeds.